Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So a wiser person, and there's, there's a lot that fall into that category, a wiser person than myself once said, your network is your net worth. I'm going to say that one more time. Your network is your net worth. Put another way, the people that you spend time with help define the quality of your life. Most of you would agree with that if you've spent a lot of time around the wrong people, which there have been times in my life that that has definitely been the case. But you probably, a lot of you that are in this room right now, you think about family members, friends, people that you've worked with, people that have poured into your life over time. So really, our net worth, what we have, has a lot to do with the relationships that are directly poured into us. So the early church that we've been talking about this last seven weeks, the early church grew in part because of relationships and a relational identity that was baked into the DNA. So this idea of an individualized spirituality didn't exist in the way that we understand it as existing today. It was very collective. It was very communal. It was very together. And what this does is this starts to create certain kinds of personalities over time. And one of the clearest marks of this personality was a presence of confidence and being fearless. A presence of confidence among a body of people and this attitude of being fearless. It didn't matter what other people thought. Because I think a lot of times today in society, people are really, really concerned about what other people think. They are completely locked in. They're locked in in every way, and we've looked at this the last few weeks, at how locked in they were to this relationship with Jesus and growing this thing that we are eventually going to call the church. So we're in the seventh week of our series, Unstoppable Church, And we're viewing the birth of the original church in the book of Acts. Like I told told you guys last week, I think we're going to make it through Acts 9. I think that's about as far as we're going to make it this year before we get into some other stuff. And then we're going to return to it probably sometime next year. But what we've looked at so far is the ascension of Jesus, the prayer of the apostles in the upper room. What are we supposed to do next? The Holy Spirit descends upon them. The preaching, the miracles, of course, this Pentecost event that we are celebrating today, and this brings us to where we are. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Acts chapter 4, you can. If you want to follow on the screen, you can. If you got your phone, that's fine too. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first five verses, and then we're going to skip to verse 8, 
and we're going to go through to verse 22. This is in the Common English Bible. All right? So this is going to be a very, very good passage for us and where we are today. Keeping in mind what happened last week uh, was the healing of the man that was at the temple gate. And we're going to look today at the uprising that this is going to bring among the religious elite. So while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them. They were incensed that the apostles were teaching the people and announcing that the resurrection of the dead was happening because of Jesus. They seized Peter and John and put them in prison until the next day. It was already evening. Many who heard the word became believers, and their numbers grew to about 5,000. So at this point, they're at megachurch status. The next day, the leaders, elders, and leaders, uh, uh, legal experts gathered in Jerusalem. Now skipping down to verse 8. Then Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, how many times have we seen that the last few weeks? Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered, leaders of the people and elders, are we being examined today because of something good was done for a sick person? This is the man that was healed at the temple gate. A good deed that healed him? If so... Then you will all, if so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands healthy before you because of the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God then raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. Salvation can be found in no one, out, no one else. Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. The council was caught by surprise by the confidence with which Peter and John spoke. After all, they understood that these apostles, and this is really important for you guys, were uneducated and inexperienced. They certainly didn't meet the credentials that they should have. They also recognized that they had been followers of Jesus. However, since the healed man was standing with Peter and John before their own eyes, they had no rebuttal. What was it that they could say with this man standing before them? After ordering them to wait outside, the council members began to confer with each other. What should we do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem is aware of the sign performed through them. It's obvious to everyone, and we can't deny it. To keep it from spreading further among the people, we need to warn them not to speak anymore in this name, which is the name of Jesus. So when they called Peter and John back, they demanded that they stop all speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John responded, it's up to you to determine whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God. But as for us, We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and about what we've heard. They threatened them further, then released them. Because of public support for Peter and John, they couldn't find a way to punish them. Everyone was praising God for what had happened, because the man who had experienced the sign of healing was over 40 years old. So what do you do in any circumstances whatsoever whenever there is a problem? Whenever you see that there is an issue that needs confronting, such as the situation here with the religious elite, what is it that you do? 
So the Sadducees and the upper members of society naturally feel challenged because followers of Jesus are disturbing the status quo. What we're starting to do here every single Sunday is we are disturbing the status quo. I would call this a holy disruption. And it's very important for you to understand this because our church is actually going through some of this right now. In order for spiritual things to grow, they must meet with and navigate through areas of tension. It's always going to be necessary. It always has been necessary. So Peter and John sense that there are these needs within their society, and they seek to meet these needs. This is a difference with where the religious elite are, religious elite are and where these early followers of Jesus are. Get this. Part of being the church and a strong network, and I'm going to start using that word network more often as we go forward, part of being a strong church and a strong network is sensing the needs of the people around you, all right? It's not just about getting in four walls, preaching, singing, thinking you've had a wonderful day. It starts to sense what is going on in the local community around you. This is what it means for ministry to be incarnational. This is what it means for to minister in your context. You have to have every pastor, leaders, and every follower of Jesus within that body has to have a pulse of the local community. They must understand what's going on. It's the reason that we have these hope bags over here. It's the reason that we do the ministry in the trailer park down the road. It's the reason that we serve the factory above us every single Monday. It's understanding what's going on around you. And this is what's going on with Peter and John whenever this healing actually takes place. So this is what gives you purpose. It's what it means to be incarnational. Having an understanding and really knowing the pulse of the people around you outside of the church. So what is going on very specifically in this passage today? What is a network of fearless, bold followers of Jesus actually look like? If this is going to be the evangelical and evangelistic culture that we are going to build what does this look like? And please understand this. Being bold for your faith, which very few of us are, please get this. Being bold doesn't mean being obnoxious. Being bold doesn't mean being annoying. Being bold doesn't mean being that religious nut job. All right, we all know those. You avoid them at the copier. You avoid them whenever they walk out at the same time as you. We're not talking about that. In this case, this means being bold with love for neighbor. It means boldly showing the things that people who call themselves Christians rarely ever actually show. We've been designed and intertwined within this culture that if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to be bold, we just have to drive everyone outside of our belief system absolutely crazy all the time. And people can tell when you're trying to buy them, by the way. They can tell when you're just a project for them. So they are being bold with their love. How is it that we can actually say that? 
What did we talk about last week? Someone who's been lame and not been able to walk, crippled the majority of their life. And Peter tells this man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then as a result, this man is praising God to everyone that he is around. So what's going on here and what are some takeaways that we see? First, Peter and John, and you have to understand the context of the first century. Peter and John are challenging the religious elite. All right, they are challenging the religious elite. And you may say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. They're bold, they're excited, they're doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. This is a really, really big deal when you take into consideration where Peter and John are in society and where these religious leaders are in society. This is what the passage tells us. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain, temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them. The council was caught by surprise. Listen to this. All these people, they, they were born and bred, not in fishing, but in religion, in their understanding. What does it say that they see in these young apostles? They were surprised by the confidence with which they spoke, the boldness with which they spoke. After all, and this is so condescending, after all, they understood that the apostles were uneducated and inexperienced. They also recognized that they had been followers of Jesus. That's mark number two that's against you during this time. So please see the significance here, and I'm trying to hammer this home to you Every single week. It's not about your resume. It's about your redemption. It's about the story that has happened within you. And when you know that there has been radical change, when you know that you have been moved to a different place, it does not matter who you face. It doesn't matter what you have to confront. Everything was different about Peter and John by this point. So they had the confidence naturally. They are simple, uneducated fishermen making these bold claims about Jesus. This is very much a David versus Goliath battle within the spiritual realm. The Sadducees are the respected authorities. These are what you would look at in the current Christian context as the denominational leaders and the bishops and the people that are up really, really high in the, in the hierarchy of religiosity. All right, so that's where they are. Now, the Sadducees, just, just for a little context, were the party of high priests, aristocratic families, and merchants. Wealth means power. They tended to have a good relationship with the Roman rulers within Palestine. Politics also means power. So how are Peter and John, these two average fishermen, we've talked about constantly the filling of the Holy Spirit within them, beginning with the prayer in the upper room, then Pentecost, then whenever they're able to heal this man. We've talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit, but what is it about the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives them boldness, and what is it? What is the message that makes what they're doing so unique? How are they able to do this? Please get this. The Spirit enables them to meet the needs of people Everyday people, like people in our community, 
All right, your average Joe, sometimes this person is wealthy, sometimes this person is poor, sometimes this person feels like they figured it all out, sometimes this person is cheating on their spouse, sometimes this person is struggling with pornography, sometimes this person is an addict, sometimes this person doesn't know how, how they're going to pay their bills. There are all kinds of different people, but this is what they are able to do. The Spirit enables them to meet the needs of the people that other religious leaders don't even know the people have. They recognize what they have and what they're giving, but what they don't understand is that Peter and John are selling a product that no one else is selling. It's something completely new within the context of this world that they're living in. The church becomes a fearless force, a bold force when it starts meeting needs within the community that society at large fails to address. The church starts to be fearless. The church starts to show boldness. When they are meeting needs within their local context, all of this happening outside the four walls of a church, that the rest of society fails to address. Are we talking about depression? Are we talking about addiction? Are we talking about post-divorce shame? Which I believe is a real, a real thing that people struggle with, that most churches will push you away. Are we talking about grief? Are we talking about confronting post-COVID isolation? Are we talking about singleness and loneliness that is offering an alternative not called Tinder? Are we talking about those things? And on and on and on. But you see, Peter and John go further because they understand it's not about training it's about anointing. And whenever you have the anointing, if some of you in here right now, because I see that gifting clearly, I see the gifting that some of you in here, and I'm just waiting for God to mobilize this within you because you're going to set this whole place on fire. It's not about all the developmental training, which is often very, very important. But it's about the anointing power that overtakes someone. This is where the boldness, and this is where the fearlessness, and this is where the real authentic love for God and neighbor is built. So they go further, with, they go further into their boldness, and this is what they do. they do. They, Peter and John, they proclaim, this is very dangerous, the exclusivity of Jesus. They say, we have the answer. There is one answer. Keep in mind, that you're speaking against years and years and years of ancient religious tradition. We have the answer, and the answer is Jesus. You see, a lot of people say the answer is Jesus, but what they really mean in the United States of America is the answer is religion. Or the answer is church. Or the answer is a good life. But specifically, when we narrow this down, the answer is Jesus. And this is how they say it in verses 11 and verse 12. 
This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. You crucified this Jesus. This is what you rejected, and I want to make this clear today. He has become the cornerstone. What you have rejected is actually the glue that holds everything together. Salvation can be found in no one else. Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given to humans through which we must be saved. Now, there are consequences. As a result, they are arrested. And that's bad. That's not fun. But their numbers increase to around 5,000. Again, like we said a few weeks ago when we were talking about numbers increasing, in the ancient world, they're counting men. They're not even counting the women and the children. So we're talking, what, seven, eight, nine thousand potentially have grown at this point. So Peter and John are boldly introducing this idea known as salvation. Now we know that salvation is an ancient concept. Within Judaism there is a concept and within other world religions known as salvation. But they are introducing this new idea of salvation and here's what it makes their message so attractive. They are willing to suffer and even go to jail for this product that no one else is selling. Others are selling rituals. Others are selling political propaganda. Others are selling self-help. The apostles are introducing Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens as these leaders are trying to lead is they recognize something. This is really hard to do and really hard to confront when this man that's been at the temple gate for this many years just kind of sort of got up and walked. This is a little bit difficult to confront. And this is a little bit difficult to face when all of a sudden, all the people that we've had by our side are now starting to trust in and follow this Jesus. This complicates things. This makes things so difficult. So we talk about salvation. No other name can save a person. What does it mean? This is what you hear, especially if you grew up Baptist or Pentecostal. This is what you hear. You hear this concept all the time of being saved. Well, how do you get saved? How old were you when, when you were saved? What does it mean to be saved? Do you need to get re-saved? There are all these questions about this concept known as being saved. It comes from the Greek word sozo. Now, we understand salvation as being forgiven from our sins. All right, that's the given. That's what the church typically understands, and it's true. Salvation, and a big part of salvation, is being forgiven from our sins. But this is only part of the meaning in the Greek text. This is what it means, and this is where it really starts to get good. It literally means to be rescued from danger. Think about your life, and think about what you, where you are. And think about the possible issues in your marriage. 
Think about the depth of anxiety that you feel, some of you, just to get out of bed and confront every day. Think about the insecurity. Think about the doubts that you hide. Think about that hang-up, that issue that seems that it will never go away. So-so, to be saved, salvation, literally means to be rescued from danger. This is what salvation is. But it also means to be delivered from demonic possession. It means to recover from sickness. It means to physically save a person's life. It also means to be healed, which is why the apostles are in so much trouble in this situation right here. Peter and John are under scrutiny for this, for this physical healing. Essentially, though, this is what Peter and John are boldly proclaiming, and it's beautiful. Peter and John are saying, the whole person is saved. The whole person. You have received forgiveness for your sins. You have an opportunity to walk into a completely new life. And though you may feel that you still struggle with this anxiety, and though you still may have these hang-ups because you're not going to be perfect overnight, in fact, the whole person has been saved. And what this means is that for some of you, it gives you the freedom to walk away from that childhood trauma that maybe no one else in this room knows about. Those of you that constantly carry guilt or shame or regret or fear, you have the ability to completely walk away from all of these things. This is how powerful this is. Now, here's the misfortune, and here's the difficult part. For a lot of people, it's nothing more than going down an aisle in a Baptist church 35 years ago, or filling out a form in a, in a Methodist or a Presbyterian church 25 years ago, or a commitment that they made that they felt like they made, they got baptized and have not lived up to. This is what it is right here. Salvation for the entire person. His mercies are new every single day. How can they not talk about this? If this is what they've experienced, and they're literally on the back of seeing a man get up and walk, what does jail mean? What does a little bit of punishment mean? And eventually in their lives, what does death even mean? Church, we are, I, I, we're sleepy people. We're just not really paying attention. In fact, some of you, in your, in your state of mind right now, it's a go through the motions, when is this going to be over thing. Do you have any idea what you've been delivered from? And the question is, if this is something that's still within you, keeps you in a posture of neutrality, have you truly been delivered from your sin and from your past? So also at the risk of everything, com just completely fearless, at the risk of everything, Peter and John refuse to stop talking. They're giving their warnings. They understand the consequences. 
They know that it's trouble, but listen, the church scatters. The church grows in third world countries. The church continues this movement throughout history is because despite the consequences, people refuse to stop talking. I wonder, what is it going to take to really get us there? What is it going to take to really move us in that direction? This is what the passage tells us, verses 18 through 20. When they called Peter and John back, they demanded, they didn't suggest, they demanded that they stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John responded, it is up to you to determine whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God. But as for us, it's different. As for us, the standard is higher. As for us, we've been delivered ourselves. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. If you see someone rise up, can you stop talking about that? Are there any consequences if you see someone in your life, stone-cold atheist, I have nothing for God. I don't care anything about God. Let me just say something. I'm just going to get off topic for just a second. I shared with you uh, last week about an individual who had, um, we, we partied, we hung out a lot together, we spent a lot of time together, we were wild, we were crazy uh, whenever I was younger, and I talked about getting on Facebook one day. You guys remember this? And he was completely transformed. I don't know what brought this guy in the room today, but he's here from Alabama. St- Will you stand up for just a second, Mike? That guy right there, completely transformed. Sorry, you didn't expect that. I just saw him walk in a minute ago, and it almost completely, this guy was changed by the grace of God for over a year. Somebody that we, 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 we snorted everything. We, we partied, sorry kids, we partied like crazy. And I, I'm here to tell you that this guy was transformed and changed. He sent me devotions every single day of my life for over a year while I was a pastor and he was not. This is the kind of change. When you see things like that, you cannot stop talking about it. And this is the situation that they find themselves in. So I want you to imagine something with me. There is a rare genetic disease, fatal familia insomnia. All right, that's what it's called. It can start as mild but works on the brain over time and slowly kills a person. Just over time, you, you, just can't, you just can't handle staying awake all the time. And eventually it kills people. So I want you to imagine you're walking around in a village in India. And there's just hundreds of people everywhere. This is somewhere that this, that this disease would be very common. And you have the cure in your possession. Jeanette, you know, Mark, you've got the cure in your possession. You're the one that has it. I know many of you are, that are in this room right now, I know you very well. You would not hesitate for a second to start handing that cure out to people. You would probably start with the children and the elderly. Uh, you would go to those that were the most vulnerable. You would have a desire to see everyone if you knew you had the cure to this. Please understand this about the world that we live in today. People are physically and spiritually sick. They're sick. Peter and John knew 
they had the cure. Please hear me when I say this. Social media is a divisive nightmare. It is a divisive nightmare that a lot of us are part of. War is ripping our world apart. Politics and the news are as divisive and ugly as I've ever seen. Hear me when I say this. Teenagers hate themselves. Our country is full of teenagers that cannot stand themselves. The difference between most of you and Peter and John is that they were bold enough to activate the cure. I'm not talking about you walking into work tomorrow morning, slam your Bible down on somebody's day. Are you going to heaven or hell? We grew up with some of that. We know how it works, all right? Not talking about that. I'm talking about going out of your way for the person that you have such a difficult time getting along with. I'm talking about being that spiritual witness and influence everywhere you go and people seeing that. And the reason that that is so difficult for some of you is because you're one person here and you're a completely different person someone else, somewhere else. So finding that authenticity is going to be an important part of this. So to create this evangelistic culture, what Peter and John possess, how does that become part of Believer's Church? Three things as we close today. The first is this, a fearless assessment of the needs in the local. There has to be a fearless assessment of the needs in the local. And what that means is that as a body of believers, we have to continue to get ourselves outside of the walls of this church with strategic plans that we continue to build to understand what people are going through. As I speak right now, within a five-mile radius of this church, there could be a dad waking up with a needle in his arm and four- and five-year-old kids just going to fix breakfast like it's every other day. There could be a situation in which a, wife's, a, a woman's husband has literally just walked out on her and she is absolutely heartbroken and the church seems nowhere to be found. There are people right now, and this one I feel like I can say with 100% confidence, that have a sheet pulled over their head because the depression is so strong that not only can they not go to church, they can't even bring themselves to take a shower or brush their teeth. Te Sorry, long, long day. Teeth. This is the world that we are in. These are the surroundings around us. And Peter and John have a fearless assessment of the needs of the local. Number two, a fearless commitment to be bold through adversity. 
A fearless commitment to be bold through adversity. Despite suffering, despite arrest, despite eventual death, they continue to follow. And this is, an, this is attractive. You see, early Christianity was a religious movement of people in the gutter, of people who were struggling. When they saw people who were willing to be that bold for their faith, they said, this is something that is worth following. But then also a fearless faith. And this is what we talked about last week. A fearless faith that expects God to work. A fearless faith that expects God to work. And they were taking together this care for community, this commitment to boldness, and this fearless faith. And they were creating a network of absolute radicals. And it absolutely set the world on fire. If we continue to meet with church as usual, and if we, can, if we invest all of our capital in this building or production, I'm going to make you a promise. We're going to have a lot of people come from other churches because it seems like, quote, the cool church. But we're going to lose our community. We're going to lose it. The boldness, the fearlessness, it has to be intertwined and built into the DNA so that we understand nothing else. Former UNC basketball coach, Roy Williams, he was sharing about Michael Jordan. You guys probably saw this, those of you during the COVID lockdown, at least that's the way it was in Kentucky, uh, when um, the uh, last dance came out. And Roy Williams was talking about Michael Jordan and how unique he was as a player. And he said, the thing about Mike is he's the only player that I ever saw that could turn it on or turn it off. And he said he never turned it off. He never turned it off. I say that to you guys this morning for this reason. For some of you that are in this room, this is a Sunday, one hour a week thing. And you're turning it off. We've got to keep it turned on at all times. Or our community has no hope. Have you been changed? Is there a passion that is burning within you to see people come to know this Jesus? Father, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for your grace and mercy. God, thanking you for continuing to protect us, continuing to provide for us. And I pray, God, in this moment uh, for the Holy Spirit's power uh, to just move us, God, out of our place of complacency and deeper into where you are. Father, whatever it takes in our lives, God, and in our hearts, Father, move us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.